This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro FM. Get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Again, use promo code BOOKSTACKED when you start your membership at Libro.fm, or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the US and Canada. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookmarked, a young adult book podcast brought to you by Bookstacked.com. In today's episode, we're highlighting a brand new book by author Joan He. You might know her from her 2019 novel, Descendant of the Crane. Her new book, The Ones We're Meant to Find, releases this Tuesday. If you're listening to the episode the weekend it's been released, if not, it was released on May 4th. This is a super interesting novel that takes elements from genres like dystopia and science fiction and places them in a relevant issue like climate change. That's pretty much all I'm going to say because you're actually going to get to hear from Joan herself. Christy, one of the Bookstacked writers who has been on this show before, sat down with her ahead of the release to talk about her approach to writing this novel. We've got links to the book and Joan's website in our show notes, so it should be easy for you to access if you want to pre-order or purchase the book. I'm going to stop talking here and hand it over to Christy. Here's our interview with Joan He. So welcome to Bookmarked. I'm so excited to speak with you about your new novel coming out on May 4th. Could you introduce yourself to the listeners and share more about your past work? Yeah, so hi, I'm Joan He, uh, the author of the Chinese fantasy Descendant of the Crane and um, of the upcoming young adult sci-fi, The Ones We're Meant to Find. I've actually known you since I became a member of your street team and during the promotions of Descender of the Crane. So it's awesome to finally meet you. I'm excited to continue on and share more about the ones we're meant to find with our listeners. So can you tell me more about the ones we're meant to find and where your inspiration came from? Sure. So uh, The Ones We're Meant to Find is about two sisters who are separated by an ocean um, and they're trying to find their way back to each other. One of them has been stuck on this abandoned island for just over three years, while the other sister is dealing with the aftermath of her sister's disappearance while living in this futuristic world that's wrecked by climate change. There's a cute android floating cities, uh, a very big twist, and a whole lot of pain. It's kind of a cliche, but the initial inspiration actually came from a dream. I had this dream, and it was a particular image of a girl uh, diving to the bottom of the sea. And it was clear that she was searching for something or someone in the dream, but I couldn't figure out what. So I started thinking a lot about the young adult dystopians that I'd read when I was a teen because I was a teen when it was like the early 2010s. So that's when like the big dystopia boom was happening. So that was kind of my first introduction to young adult really as a genre. And I was like a huge fan of the Hunger Games, Legend, Divergent, etc. And so I feel like there's some very specific trademark tropes to the genre that kind of left a deep impression on me and um, when I was trying to figure out what 
like the girl in my dream was searching for the answers kind of came when I thought about okay like if this were a young adult dystopian what would it most likely be and I was like okay probably a sibling because I feel like I'll save some of this for later but I feel like the genre really does really interesting things with sibling relationships and it sets up certain rear expectations about a sibling relationship and I wanted to play with that and subvert that so that's kind of how the idea came about. Yeah I love to hear that your dream led you there because I personally miss the YA dystopian era so that made me excited to dive into this book for sure. So about the world building, I wanted to speak about that. I found it really amazing all throughout the entire book. I loved how the people were ranked based on the ancestral environmental impact. And then I loved all the eco cities and the hollows where the characters were able to do more things that they couldn't do in real life. And I found that all fascinating. How did you develop such a unique futuristic world that readers were still able to recognize? Yeah, so um, in like the initial drafts, um, the world was kind of just just paying kind of homage to some of the worlds like I'd read about in dystopia. So it was kind of blurry, like the climate change aspect, the floating city aspect, that was all there from the initial drafts but like a lot of the specifics about the people like living virtually via like these hollows and some other specifics didn't really get layered in until later in the drafts but so like the big bones really like the inspiration and generation of those really just came from like my general understanding of dystopia and then when it then came time to like make it a bit more specific I feel like a lot of the like cooler things are really just things that kind of already exist in our world, but I kind of just exaggerate them. So, for example, like in the book, you have these people who, um, in order to lower their ecological footprint, they can opt to genetically modify themselves and become like plants and photosynthesize their own like calories and things from just water and sunlight without like consuming and I feel like even though that's like really out there and wild I feel like even now like you have people who make dietary and lifestyle decisions one of the reasons might be that they want to live a greener lifestyle and so it's kind of just way if you took people who are vegetarian or vegan for environmental reasons and you took it to the extreme so I think that's a lot of where the world building came from. Let me think of something else. Like I think for the thing about ancestral ranking, even now in certain parts of the world, like China comes to mind, for example, where you do have people um, who get points or points minus from their like societal score, depending on what they do and how they behave. And in like the past in China, for example, if you did something really bad, like during the imperial age, when there are still like emperors and stuff, like if you did something really bad, it would be your entire clan that would be exterminated. Like it wouldn't just be you that was punished. It would be your cousins and your grandparents. And I feel like that's something that is not only culturally significant, but also kind of ties in with this idea of climate change and our impact on the planet, because even 
if it is something that was done by someone in the past, those effects do end up affecting future generations. So I was just like, okay, like what if I tie those two things together? And that's kind of how the rank system came about. And yeah, <laughs> it's kind of sad to say, like, I feel like I didn't really have to think too hard about the world because like you already see so many of the seeds in our current day and age, especially with COVID recently. It's really easy to see like how a small problem or a problem that could be fixed kind of just balloons when people don't have like an organized plan of attack or unified action. Yes, I agree. Which this book definitely made me self-reflect a lot throughout, especially with everything going on right now with COVID. So what really made you decide to write specifically about climate change and how it pertains to our oceans? Yeah, so for the climate change aspect, that came about because I knew the plot twist really before I knew the world very detailed-wise. So I knew that the book needed to be post-apocalyptic because of the particular plot twist. And when I was thinking about what could enter a world like I think you have you know your common set of apocalyptic things like aliens or um like asteroid or like climate change like all these different things that you've already seen explored right like pandemic virus and I was trying to pick which one I felt would be the most plausible because I didn't the, the book stretches your mind in other ways. Um, so I didn't want the thing that's ending the world to be the thing that you would have to think a lot about. So I wanted it to be pretty intuitive. So because of that, I was like, okay, I feel like climate change is probably the one that like we can more easily fathom than like aliens coming down, right? So that's why I ended up picking climate change as the backdrop and as the thing that facilitates the plot and the twist. As for why it's focused on the ocean, this again goes back to the dream I had from the start. I had this image of a girl in the ocean and she was diving in it. So I knew the ocean would be the setting because that image was just so vivid. And then as it happened, I feel like the ocean kind of tied in very well thematically as I was writing because the book is so focused on humanity and like how life began and how life might end. And I feel like that really ties in nicely with like the ocean because <laughs> all life began from the ocean I'm not going to give away from the give away the twist but I feel like that was kind of nice and poetic and also with the characters being so different C and Casey I felt like the ocean kind of like mirrored their emotions a bit because the ocean can both be the scary violent kind of turbulent volatile place but it also can be very vast and deep and still and it just felt like the right setting to both bring out the themes in the story, but also like the emotional states of the characters. Yes, I completely agree with that. Which, could you tell us more about C and KC? Yep, so C is, I feel like probably who I would have wanted to be when I was a teenager. She is actually based off of a lot of the protagonists I read about in young adult dystopians when I was a teen because she's very she's like a go-getter she's determined even though she is vulnerable and scared of things like I think she is very brave and she faces these 
perilous life moments and she still prevails. And I think that's definitely something that I read a lot about like in characters and I kind of aspire to be. And she's also very extroverted, popular, well-loved. But I feel like other than like the emotional part, um, I am more emotional. I feel like I don't really relate as much to those characters, even though I feel like she is more relatable in the traditional sense that I feel like a lot of young adult literature has taught us because she had those particular cues that make us think this is our main character, this is who we relate to. Whereas Casey is definitely more of a deviation from what I think you probably see in as a main character in these kinds of stories because she doesn't react as much and she's not as emotional and she's very cold and logical and she doesn't have like the best lines of dialogue in their moments where I was like revising the book I was like oh this dialogue is cruddy from Casey not because it's bad dialogue but because it's not something you would read and think oh this is like like I wish I could banter like this right or be as witty because Casey's not like that and in this way I feel like I relate to Casey more, but definitely I'm not nearly as smart as Casey. She's a genius, and that hurt my brain a lot to write. So yeah, those are the two characters. Very different from each other, yeah. Yeah, they definitely were. I love them, though. They're both very complex, and I loved the contrast, like you talked about, between them. And I really like the bond they shared, which is, plays a major role, I think, in the book. What really made you decide to focus on their strong bond? So this kind of goes back to what I allude to about how this book is really, um, besides the dream, like when I was trying to figure out the dream, it really is inspired by certain tropes that I noticed in dystopia. So this is going to be like kind of like a technical like answer. Like I wish I could say like, oh, I went to write about the sister bond because gave me emotions but really I was just fascinated by how in young adult dystopia a lot a lot of the early ones I feel like and a lot of the ones that we think about when we think about the genre you tend to have a main character who's going to go on to do like these incredible feats right like topple dictatorships or save the world or rally like entire populations to their side in like a war and yet you still have to keep the character relatable, despite the fact that they are usually, I feel like, pretty intelligent and pretty capable and brave and all those things. So what I noticed is that a way that authors tended to cue readers in on a main character's relatability was by giving them a younger sibling. Um, and I think this is really evident in like the Hunger Games because very early on, even though you know Katniss is this accomplished hunter um, and she provides for her family and she's able to make these huge decisions, she's still humanized and made relatable because she has this younger sister, Prim, who she wants to protect and she's able to go to any lengths for. And even though Prim doesn't like show up for like the rest of the book after um, the initial scene where Katniss is like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to participate in the Hunger Games and sacrifice myself because I'm doing it for Prim. So even though you don't see Prim, I feel like that moment is so strong that you still remember through the book, even as Katniss becomes like superhuman in some ways, that she is this normal person who's just doing this because she loves her sister. And I feel like that was then, because this was such 
a pivotal book. I feel like that trope then kind of carried through some other dystopias where you would have like a younger sibling that would explain some of the protagonist's actions and in a way would be used as a device to make the protagonist seem more relatable, more down to earth, more vulnerable, more empathetic. And they might not even play that big of a role in the plot, the younger sibling that is, but they would have this really important role in being an entryway into the main character for the reader. So I thought that was really fascinating and I really wanted to subvert that. So in this case, I was like, what if the girl searching for her sister, searching for something to see is searching for her sister, but the sister is not a device. The sister actually plays a huge role in the plot, has her own agency. And that was kind of where this idea of, okay, I want to make this sister story because I knew readers would get emotional over the sister bond, but I also wanted to mess with them a bit and use that assumption against them. Yeah, I definitely got emotional while reading it, especially the thing, the lengths they went to for each other, even though every action that each that C and Casey did was reflected, I felt like it's for their love for one another. So I love that. And it did remind me a lot of Katniss and Prim. So I could see where you got the inspiration for their sister bond. So I want to talk more about your writing. We don't want to give away the big plot twist, but I do want to say that when I did read it, I just had to stop and just stare at my wall and like think back on all the past events that happened before that and try to piece everything together. And I just loved that moment. How do you go about writing those game-changing plot twist in your books because your past book Descent of the Crane had a lot too which I loved. Uh, Thank you I'm glad that you had that reaction that's definitely what I was hoping for so thank (laughs) you. Yeah so I love twists as you have guessed by now and as to how I approach them so my twists tend to be around the middle, like the midpoint of the book. Um, and that's something that I account for actually when I am generating the idea for a book. So I tend to have a lot of ideas, but I don't decide to like write a book for each and every one. So for me, one of like the main litmuses of is this idea going to be viable for an entire novel? And am I going to stick with it and feel excited by it? is if I can very early on figure out how I would subvert the idea just based on that initial premise. The way I like to think of it is, I know this is um, not fiction, but like a real historical event, but I think the Titanic and that, like how that played out is such a good example of something where just based on the premise of this unsinkable ship, you're able to come up with the twist or like the unexpected thing that happens in the middle, which is, this unsinkable ship ends up sinking. So I feel like if I'm able to do that for an idea of mine, that's how I then decide to embark on that idea. So that's kind of the first step of my approach. Um, Like the twist is really baked into the very premise of the book. And then later on as like, when I'm like trying to finesse the twist, um, I really think about the assumptions the reader is gonna have, the expectations they're gonna have. And a lot of that, I feel like, is based on the literature that's come before and the genre, again. Because I think 
it, like if you read a lot of books in like this genre and they set up these certain expectations, that makes it easier for me to then identify like, okay, how am I going to lead you to believe that this is how the story is going to pan out? And then how am I then going to pull the rug out from under you? In the case of Descendant of the Crane, I feel like because that was a royalty story, I felt like a lot of the young adult fantasies that I'd read that were about like princesses and queens were usually stories of empowerment because you would have like this rash, idealistic princess coming of age and maybe they make some questionable choices and decisions and maybe they make some mistakes. But at the end of the day, the character would usually come into power and even though there would be losses along the way, I feel like most of their idealism would even if it shifted, be preserved, and it would be more of like a feel-good thing. And so that was something that I was like, okay, it'd be really interesting to write a story that checks all the boxes for coming of age and has this idealistic protagonist who is like, I want to find out the truth behind my father's death. And in getting these, getting to this truth, she makes these questionable decisions, etc., but then I really wanted to punish her for that. I wanted the story to be a case where you are coming of age, but because you are at the same time running a kingdom, you don't really have the luxury that a normal teen might of making these mistakes and figuring things out and not having things fall apart around you because you aren't ready yet to assume that responsibility. So that's kind of how the twist came about. I really wanted the idealism of the character to work against them and ultimately cause all the bloodshed and stuff that comes <laughs> later in the book. Um, and that's the same thing for uh, the ones rent to find. Like I think certain things I set up very early on in the story, such as like the amnesia angle, the fact that the character's waking up in like the first scene and that's like such a strong mirror of a lot of like dystopias I really wanted you to think that this is going to be just like your nostalgic dystopian like homage but then I went to then throw that wrench in in the middle to upset that yeah I definitely see that it definitely felt like a YA dystopian but it felt unique which I loved so I loved all the elements you added to it a lot of people like ask me what I want readers to take away from it, like what message I want them to get, because it is a story that kind of deals with a lot of issues that we're facing. And at the end of the day, I mean, Casey says, on one of the characters, Casey, in the book, she has this line where she says, everyone lives at the expense of someone else. And while that might be her takeaway from the book, it's not exactly what I guess I want readers to walk away with. Um, ultimately, I really just want readers to come away with more questions than answers. I think that is just like my goal with every book. And I hope that they think more about like what it means to actually be true to yourself. Like who is the one that both Casey and C in the story is meant to find? Because things like character agency, free will, identity, those are definitely things like topics I really like exploring from book to book. Something else that I hope that readers think about a bit more is the characters are obviously very different from each other, C and Casey. And like I mentioned, C was kind of designed to be like more traditionally relatable based on what readers have been cued in on 
to think of as reliable. But I do hope that people ask, does one character deserve to find happiness more? Does one character deserve to be safe more through the story because you relate to them more? Because I think one of the things that the book raises is that everyone's actions impact people, even the people you might not relate to, the people you might not see yourself in, the people you might not even see because they live in a different generation or they live across the world from you, but everyone is still impacted. So this definitely is a question I think that's also relevant to like our current world where decisions you make might impact people that you don't care about, that you don't identify with, but does that mean they deserve our attention less? I think there is an answer to that that everyone knows is right. But I think in reality, the way we as humans behave is that we tend to care the most about things that speak to us, right? So I think that's just something that I want to bring awareness to. I don't think there's a solution to it really, but I think in general, just when people are more aware of the shortcomings of themselves and of humanity as general, that makes everything a bit better. Yes, I agree. I definitely came away from this book having more questions about the role I play and how it affects everyone around me, not just like the people I love or people close to me or in my country, just everyone in general. So I definitely walked away from this book like that. You did mention exploring the themes of identity and nature, like the nature of memory, which I did want to ask you about because I know C, when she wakes up on this abandoned island, her only memory is of her sister, that she has a sister and she must find her. So what kind of made you want to explore those themes specifically? Yeah, so I think, like I mentioned, every book of mine ends up exploring the themes of identity and memory. Um, And I think the reason why I'm so drawn to it is because in young adult in particular, there is such an emphasis on character agency and having a character drive the plot and make sure that like the plot isn't just happening to them, right? But I think like as a young adult, like when I was a young adult myself, I knew that I was working really hard on certain things and I very much wanted certain things, um, such as like having more friends, having good grades, good scores, getting to a good college, et cetera, being well-liked by my teachers, by my peers. But not all these things, that I was striving towards were actually true to me. Like they weren't things that I, if I stripped away all the external factors, they weren't really things that I personally intrinsically um, would have wanted. So even though you could say like from the outside looking in, you would say like, oh, this teen has so much agency because I was doing so many things. Um, I had so many desires and I was so motivated, but these things weren't actually a part of me. So. And I think especially like when you are of that age, there are so many situational factors outside yourself, such as societal expectations, parental peer expectations that make you maybe act or want certain things. So that's something I really want to explore in both of my books, Descendant and the ones where the characters all start off thinking that they really want this goal. They really want to achieve this thing. And that thing defines them. But throughout the course of the story, that is challenged um, as to whether or not they actually want this. And if wanting this thing is truly 
intrinsic to themselves. As for memory, I think that is just so fascinating because it is um, something that should technically be internally formed because the brain is like within your skull and you're forming your memory. So it does seem like if you're motiva- motivated by a memory of something, that should be an intrinsic motivation. But at the same time, as like a psych major and someone who did study in psych, you learn that memory is so fragile um, and people actually do a really bad job at remembering how things actually happen. So when that comes into play and when you consider that memory might not actually be a true record of things that happen to you, then why do we still have such strong memories of certain things? I think a lot of that is shaped by our environment and even what people tell us like after the fact or what we might tell ourselves to believe, like as we're moving through a part of life that might be difficult or we are questioning ourselves, we might go back to a memory and revise it without even knowing it to kind of reinforce like this is who I am because that helps us go through a situation that might be affecting us. So even though memory should be internally formed, I think a lot of what we remember is formed by external pressures. And so that's why it kind of ties into this question of agency. And if we are motivated by things that we think belong to us in our heads, how much of that is actually generated by us and how much of that is influenced by a situation or environment that also really fascinates me and goes, that's why those two things, memory and identity kind of go hand in hand for me and they appear so much in my stories. It worked out perfectly for this book too, I think. Yeah, I think this book was the one where I was like, this is like the most fun I could have with these two things. Yeah. Yes. And then one more thing I wanted to ask you about was on part of your pre-order campaign, you are donating a dollar to the Ocean Conservancy for every book that is pre-ordered. Could you tell us more about this? Yeah, so I think when I was thinking of the pre-order campaign, I had the thought like, because in the book, it mentions like you can want to be more environmentally conscientious and you can want to like practice more sustainable things but at the end of the day the sad truth is that a lot of the ways to live more sustainably is just to cut away those things like instead of finding a more sustainable alternative you could just not for example buy that (laughs) new shirt instead of finding something that's like organically grown right because that's like, I think we want to do a lot of things that make us feel better, but a lot of the true solutions are very difficult to take. So as I was thinking of my prayer campaign, I was like, holy crap, like this is using a lot of paper. And I was like, I wanted to maybe, cause I have like the three character cards that I was giving away, but I was like, maybe I want to do like something else. Cause for Descendant, I'd done like metal bookmark that I gave away to everyone, but then when I was looking at that again for this book, those are produced like overseas. And I was thinking, I don't know, it didn't feel right to do that for this book. So I was like, okay, how can I like actually make the prayer campaign be something that people can feel good about participating in and make it kind of a compromise? So for despite like the paper products that are getting shipped out, I did want to include an aspect that would like help our oceans and not have this carbon footprint, right? So that's kind of how the donation aspect came about on um, the $1 to Ocean Conservancy. And Ocean Conservancy really, like, I looked at a number of like the ocean protecting organizations and their mission really kind of 
I think would get a Casey stamp of approval because they're really focused on finding science-based solutions to the problems that are facing our oceans globally. And I really wanted this to be like an international, like I wanted the organization to be focused like on the international oceans because it's not like, like if our ocean is clean, right? Like we're going to be fine because everything's connected. We all share one ocean. So that was really important to me. Yes, that's amazing. Well, Joan, thank you so much for joining Bookmark today. I had a lot of fun speaking with you and the ones we're meant to find learning more about it. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Thank you so much, Chris. I'm really, like like you said, you've been a member of the street team for <laughs> Descendant <laughs> so long, so it's really nice to finally meet you like this. Yeah. For me, you can find me on Twitter uh, and Instagram. Uh, the handle's the same for both. It's at Joan He Writes. And yeah, that's where I am online. Awesome. And where can they pre-order the ones we're meant to find? Uh, so it's available for pre-order um, at all your standard pre-order places. There's, if you go to my website at joanhewrites.com, you can like find the page that has like the Amazon, IndieBound, Barnes & Noble link, all linked, Book Depository for International. Um, there's also a UK edition that's coming out simultaneously with the US edition. So you can order that one from Waterstones, Booktopia, etc. Perfect. And I did notice on Twitter you showed the jacket of the book and it is so pretty. <laughs> thank so you. <laughs> and thank you listeners for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We're at bookmarkedya and you can also follow Bookstacked on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Chris M. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.